0: Why don't you think about what was just read by Richard? The Spirit of the Lord told Philip to go and Philip listened to the Spirit. He went. And here's someone who is reading the Word of God and Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I unless someone guide me? What happened if The spirit said, Philip, go And Philip said, man, you know, I've got a dentist appointment today. Can't make it today. Call me tomorrow. I'm in a better situation to go and and preach the gospel. Or whatever the excuse would have been. Do you suppose that the eunuch would have ever obeyed the gospel? Think about it. Because I believe so. I believe God's providence would have made it so that he would have obeyed the gospel. He just wouldn't have used Philip. He would have used someone else. God could do whatever he wants, however he wants. But he chose to use this particular person at this particular time. And through that providential care, this person responded to that. All right, so we're talking about providence and evangelism. And, of course, we know what providence is, right? I mean, here's God's care. This is his... Will for us and how he makes his will to come about in and even through our lives. That's where providence comes from. We get the word provide. We're talking about evangelism. Going into all the world and preaching the gospel just as was illustrated in Acts chapter 8 verse 25 following. So brethren, when we talk about these things, you know, part of me was toying over this idea in this PowerPoint that I wanted to illustrate because to me, God should be at the very top of everything. But the point that we're wanting to get is God has his role and and he's secured it. The lost. Well, that's why they're lost. They're existing. And we're the conduit that God has chosen through his divine will to be the means by which the gospel is proclaimed. That's what he wants. And so the focus is going to be on us, even though we're supposed to be focused on our God. So I want you to, to think about the focus on us only from a standpoint of responsibility, only from a standpoint of faithfulness in our service to our God. So I want us to note these things as we go through the scriptures this morning. As far as the loss is concerned, of course, all of them are in need of salvation. None of us would, would know of anything other than the fact that they need salvation. Stop and think about what we know. It actually hurts me to think this way and leave it at that. You stop and think of I want you to let this sink in your heart. People are dying every day in their sins. We have family members dying in their sins. We have coworkers dying in their sins. And we go on with our merry lives. You see, I could have just simply gone over it and moved forward with the point. But when we let it sink in, does it not at least touch your heart? Does it not convict you in the least that you have family, neighbors, co-workers dying in their sins? And for an eternity, there's going to be a conviction in their heart about the fact that they could have had a relationship with God. That should bother us. That should concern us. Brethren, it should motivate us. It should motivate us to the point that we do something about it. Imagine we're in the midst of of some trial in our life physically. What do we do? We immediately go to the doctor, right? Uh, Unless we're men without our wives. (laughs) Most of us would, would really want to go and see the doctor and take care of things, right? Maybe not all of us, but most of us. Why? Why are we so motivated for that physically? Because we long for life. The thing about the lost is they don't know that they need everlasting life. And so my question to you is, who cares for these lost? Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 13, Enter in by the narrow gate, for broad is the gate. Right? Broad is that path that leads to this broad and wide open gate. Who goes through it? How many go through it? So many. Brethren, if the gate is so wide, and there are so many who are lost, consider this fact. That if we were to try and even set a percentage, and I don't know what the percentage is. I don't know if it's one-tenth of a. Of 1% of the entire population of this planet, I have no... If it's 5%, I don't know what it is. All I know is, most of the people that I know in my life are lost in their sins. We're just a fraction here. I remember once when I was preaching in Athens, Alabama, I said, brethren, stop and think about it. You're not the majority in Limestone County. Brethren, we're far from the majority in Williamson County. Or Davidson or Murray or Hickman or I'm knowing some of my counties now. <laughs> We're just a small fraction. So many who who don't even realize that they're going to lose their soul for an eternity. Yes, it's true that we need to work on our lives. There's no doubt about it. We need to focus on on walking worthy of God's calling, glorifying our wonderful and amazing God. But brethren. In the meantime, people are being lost and dying. Funerals every day. Who cares for the lost? Well, I can tell you this much. Well, there are so many people who are dying in their sins, there are so few laborers in God's kingdom. Jesus had 70 men. Luke chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, you can read them. 70 men, and He sent them out two by two. And before He sent them out, He said to them, you know that the harvest is plenty. Just read Luke 10, verse 2. The harvest is plenty. But the laborers are few. Pray to God that He sends forth laborers. Well, guess what? He is sending them forth. How many are saying, here am I? Because that's His will for, for souls to be saved. We can read that in Second Peter chapter 3. We can read how he does not want any single individual to perish. He wants every soul to come to repentance. And guess what? He has the means by which they can be saved. It's called the good news. Who's proclaiming it? Who cares for the lost? I can tell you right now, God cares. And you know, there's a part of me that says we care. And I don't know if that's the nice Mitch Davis in me that says, you know, we all care. But the realistic Mitch says, Mitch, how much do you care? I'll have to admit to you, my actions tell me that I don't care as much as I would like to say I do. Oftentimes, Mitch is about Mitch Davis. I'm tired right now. I want to just relax. I've done this. I've done that. And make my excuse. Well, someone passes on from this world. Brethren, this is the kind of conviction that you need to stop and consider. Don't let this bounce off your heart. Please don't. Let it soak in. Let it convict you. Who cares? Please say you care. Not just with your lips. Not just with your your heart. But with the action. And show that you care. When we talk about God's providence, we're talking about the fact that here we have the lost and we are told that, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, that one planted the seed, one watered the seed, because they're not the important ones spoken of in 1 Corinthians 3, but God is the one. He gives the increase. I want you to read with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, because I want you to... Feel the full weight of what Paul is saying to the saints there with regard to the work that they have been given over to. Who then is Paul? He's nothing. Just a minister, just a servant. Who then is Paul? 1 Corinthians 3 5. And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted. Apollos watered, God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor is he who waters anything. But I'm adding in, God is everything who gives the increase. He who plants and he who waters are one, verse 8, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now you stop and think about this. If God provides for for souls to be saved and his means, his providential means is his servants, his kingdom to go forth as citizens in the kingdom and reach out to this lost and dying world and draw them into the kingdom by the good news, the powerful news of the gospel message. And we're told that each one has his own reward for his labors. Brethren. We need to be laboring. We need to just stop the the limit to what we do. That we just come to church. It's a great thing to come and praise God as we're doing. It's great the songs that, that we've been led by our brother to praise and magnify His name. Or the prayers that lift up holy hands on our behalf as we pour our hearts out to God. And I hope that's what we're doing every single time we come together. It's not just limited to us spending time with one another. And how great is that, that we get to spend time with each other, build each other up. Just from a recreational standpoint, from Bible studies, whatever the the times are, it's wonderful that we can share in each other's lives. That's great. But that's not the totality of our walk. Acts chapter 8 tells us the church went everywhere with God's Word. So God is giving us the means by which salvation can be had. We're told in John 3, verse 16, He so loved this world, He gave His Son, so He's provided the means of salvation. And now He's provided the way when He said to His disciples, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Making disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. He said, and and I'll be with you to the very end. God's providing. That's providence right there in in that Great Commission that we call the Great Commission. He's providing the means and He's providing the way. And He says He'll be with us as we do this. And He'll give the increase with us or without us. You know what I love about the book of Esther? is that line that Mordecai says to Esther. Toward the middle ending of that book. said, so now listen, who knows whether or not you've been put in this position for such a time as this. But if you're not going to speak to the king, and I paraphrase, then God's going to raise someone else up and bring deliverance to Israel. God provides. He is going to bring deliverance to Israel. You're in the position to be the means by which he does so. What are you going to do? And what I love about Esther's character was true to her character. She went and sacrificed her life and actually spoke to the king. Because, you know, by law, unless the king calls you and you go up to him, you could be put to death. She did. Do you know that we are given this wonderful commission? It's not limited to just a few. It's not like the army, a few good men. (laughs) It's the work. Of the Lord's church. For every one of us. And I think part of the problem. It's not the totality of it. Part of it is brethren. We have a mindset of the gospel. That if you cannot do this. You cannot do that. Oh I better not teach them the gospel. Versus the wonderful good news. That Jesus is the Christ. And I want to share this good news. With every single person. And let the chips fall where they may. But I want them to be saved. How convicted are you? God's providence is working right now. Souls are being saved with us and without us. Why not it be with us? That's His providential care. So, if He gives us this increase, then what does that need to mean? But to know that we're the ones working by planting and watering. How great, brethren, that we can go out Simply plant the seed. I don't know if they're going to respond. I'm thankful that God is the one that gives the increase. You know when you plant seeds, do they all sprout and grow? No. But the seed has been planted. You cannot have a crop growing up out of the ground without any planting, right? Can't happen. You need the seed. And you know how God does it? If there's no one planting seed, you know what He does? He uses them bird. And that bird will have its droppings in the most horrendous, yucky way. And it still gets planted. And souls can still be saved. Despite us. I don't know if that's good English, but without us, they're still going to be saved. But He wants us to be the ones, brethren. And how encouraging when you actually go forth with the Word of God, share that wonderful good news, planting that seed and have someone actually turn to the Lord, does it not just build you up? Does it not excite you when you share the good news with someone? Because it does me. And I know that I've seen too many brethren over 20-something years I've been in the Lord, when, I, when they go from, I don't know, to, yes, Lord, here am I, send me. And that's the part that we want to look at right here. Are we that way? You see, what the elders have instituted for us and when we started just a few years ago was this five-year plan. It's all on paper. Doesn't mean a thing on paper, right? Doesn't mean a thing on paper. All it gives us is a direction. The direction is to go into the world. That's the direction. We know that easy. But we've got this plan where, where we evangelize Franklin, Tennessee, and when I hear, yeah, well, but we've done the door knocking thing, you know, years ago. People just don't listen. Yeah, times change. You know what? I think we have new people living in those homes, by the way. We can go knock on them again. <laughs> new people to say yes or no. And we're not going to judge whether they say yes or no. We're just going to plant the seed. This is an opportunity for us to go to our neighbors in this community. Let them know that we care for them. I genuinely care For them. Not just fly by night. We see them once and then we forget them. I mean, we live here. We're not like the apostles going from city to city where we only have the one shot. We live here with our neighbors. So we can go back to them again and again. And let them know that we care for them. We can pray with them, brethren. We can pray for them. We can talk to them about the good news. So we have this five-year plan. And our elders want it implemented. But it takes Workers. Who's going to work? So our aim is getting to know our neighbors and giving them the good seed, the gospel message. So my question to you is, it's harvest time, brethren. Who's going? Right now, the field is white. Just as in Luke chapter 10, when you can read in Luke chapter 10, the field is white. There are very few laborers. Two o'clock this morning, I get an email. Two o'clock. I was asleep, by the way. I was not awake. Get an email from one of my nephews. Not the one that went up to South Africa, but another nephew. He's been here. He's worshiped with us a couple of times. Mitch, one of the things I'm wanting to do is go to school in Nashville. But I really would love to go with you when you study God's Word with whoever you study with. I'm going to learn to go out and have a desire to preach the gospel to everyone. His desire is not from a vocational standpoint being an evangelist. He loves art. He wants to be an artist. He's great at it. But his life passion is souls. and He wants to grow in the kingdom as a servant of the Lord. Brethren, that's the kind of people that God is pleased with. The ones that want to and taking the steps toward that end of reaching the good news to everyone in the kingdom. Or everyone, excuse me, in the world that can come into this kingdom. And so, the har- it's the harvest is here, who's going? And so, are you going to be like Isaiah, who in, I- in Isaiah 6, verse 8 says, Here am I, Lord, send me. Or, and I'm going to finish with this passage. I want you to actually open up to this text and read this. And I want you to read the excuses that are made here. Go to Luke 14. This will be the last scripture that we look at. And I know this lesson is very short because one of our elders is going to come up and explain some things of what's happening um, here at Franklin with regard to our evangelistic efforts. But I want you to look at Luke chapter 14 and read these excuses and see if maybe we've been making these excuses for too many years. It says here in Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 15, now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him in this parable, if you will, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Kind of like that royal wedding invitation that Jerry was talking about with Lord's Supper. So here's this great feast, this great supper. And then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. And still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Can I be excused as well? Work. Animals. (laughs) Wives. Can I be excused? Brethren, the time for excuses are over. It's time to work. What are we going to do? Here's my one and only fear. And I don't fear much. Maybe it's not even fearing this. Maybe it's just a concern. My concern is that here we have this lesson. And it gets you kind of stirred up, I hope. Right here. And you kind of stirred up maybe when you leave a little bit. But nothing's done to change. That's my concern. The Lord cares for lost souls. He came to seek and save the lost. Brethren, how much do we care? Are we going to be like those who made this excuse? Listen, the excuse is going to be made when we go and teach the gospel. Well, I've this and well, I'm that or whatever the excuse is. But what about us? We're servants of the king. We're children of God. We have the good news. We have salvation in Jesus Christ. Don't we want others to have it? Don't we, when we have the cure for cancer, say, I got it. I want you to know about this. I got the great vitamin A or B or D or whatever those vitamins. I got this or that with health news. We, we do it with everything under the sun. But what about the gospel? The thing that matters most.